Hi, this is Reverend Tommy, and I'd like to welcome you back to the garden where we explore the big questions about life. I invite you to open your minds and be receptive to seeing things differently. So let's get metaphysical. Nancy keeps telling me, you know, for the article, for the paper, she says, you need to have like a title that really kind of catches people's attention. So, well, maybe this one did. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to call it something similar to that, uh, another term that we use that involves a fan, but said, nah, that's too much. Let's not go with that one. So I would like to start today's lesson by having Lynn come up and read from the Gospel of John. Okay, this is from John 1, 3 through 13. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of, kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born in the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except for one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Thank you very much, Lynn. No one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. In modern terms, unless a shift in consciousness happens. Christian theology is a very interesting topic. There are over 400 Christian denominations. Did you know that? The other major religions have a few variations of the cent one central theme, but nobody has 400. That tells me one thing. Anyone can pretty much take the Bible and pretty much argue any point they want to, and they have. From anti-woman to anti-blacks to anti-gays to a vengeful God, eternal damnation, and God forbid even a loving and merciful God say it isn't so, like we do. In truth, from a theological perspective, you can bundle the entire 400 plus denominations into one group, and unity would be in another one, separate. In fact, probably of the 400 plus denominations, none of them would say that unity is Christian. So sometimes I wonder why we say that. But of course, I know the answer to that. 
And the answer is that because unity follows the theology of Jesus, whereas tradition follows the theology of Paul. In addition, essentially all of the other 400 plus denominations interpret the Bible literally. Unity interprets this at, as allegory, as symbolism. Yes, there is some literal stuff in there, like literally Jesus did live, literally Jesus was crucified, but the bulk of the message is symbolic. It is a spiritual book, spiritual message. The emphasis on allegory that we put on it is in itself a big shift. You've heard my quote on this before. Maybe, maybe you haven't. So I'm going to tell you again. This is my take on the summary. If the Bible is literal, then it's a story of some people. But if it is allegory, if it is symbolism, then it's a story of all people. And that makes more, much more sense to me because the focus is not on the external, it is on the internal, as it should be. The central idea is that what we are seeing, the manifest world, is effect and not cause. Therefore, we must look to the cause to find real answers. Let me give you a difference or an example of a difference in interpretation between unity and tradition. On my last lesson in Easter, I talked about the traditional view of, God, of a God who needed redemption in the form of a human sacrifice to make amends with man versus a God who loves unconditionally as told in the parable of the prodigal son. In case you were not clear about this, these are two diametrically opposed views. They are opposites. And since the Bible is clear that a fountain cannot pour forth both sweet and bitter water, then you must ask yourself, which God do I believe in? Let me help you out a bit answering that question. You see, the story of God as an unconditional love was a story told by Jesus. The story of a God in need of redemption was told by men who didn't even understand Jesus in the first place as we just read in that scripture. Personally, I like Jesus's take on what God is, but that's just me. You're free to go with whatever you like. Continuing with the words of Jesus. In the previous passage, Jesus tells Nicodemus that in order to see the kingdom, you must be born again. You know how much I love theology. I'm 24-7 on that thing, pretty much. There are four big ideas in this one passage that Lynn read for us. The first is, of course, being born again, which is a reference to transformation. The second is about a similar thing, which is to refocus or to distinguish between cause and effect. It says, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. I should have used this in my rebuttal in, in my, to tradition's physical and resurrection message of Easter because a physical resurrection just doesn't make any sense to me. This scripture makes it clear why. Spirit is spirit, flesh is flesh. A physical resurrection is a square peg 
trying to get into a round hole, essentially. The third says, if you don't understand earthly things, how are you going to understand heavenly things? Which is a reference to, as I just mentioned, these guys just didn't understand. Jesus kept telling them, how long have I been with you? And you still don't understand. The fourth says, no one has gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven. Now that's back to the spirit of spirit, flesh is flesh thing. A perfectly reasonable idea. But the question, of course, is who came from heaven? Spirit comes from heaven. Flesh comes from earth. Logically, spirit returns to heaven. Traditions uses this as a reference to Jesus again. But that makes Jesus the exception and not the example as we teach. Plus, it's not following his own very words. He was here to show us the way, not be the way. Show us the way. One of the central themes is in unity theology is that we teach transformation and not salvation. I've said it before, and I will keep saying it because it is basic. Fundamentally, the idea of salvation is based on a model of duality, of separation. Unity philosophy sees this view as theologically unsound, and nothing short of a complete transformation can correct it. And I think from the unity perspective, this is what this scripture is referring to, that kind of transformation. As a spiritual teacher, Jesus was not referring to a literal new birth, as Nicodemus refers. That's to miss the point. Instead, it is a reference to a change in consciousness, a change in perspective, and that is something that we can have a new birth in at any moment. And in fact, what is required, according to the scripture, in order to see the kingdom. The fact is our consciousness is continually changing. And it comes in many forms and with varying degrees of impact. Individually, we progress through uh, infancy, toddler. Then we go to adolescence, young adult, adult, and then a senior. And then with each change in the stage brings a different consciousness, a different perspective. The Bible says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. Likewise, man as a whole has transitioned through many radical changes, from discovering fire to the heliocentric model to the industrial revolution and now to the new technological age in which we live. Although these changes represent external changes, they are due to our change in consciousness. Because potentially, everything exists in potential all the time. So cell phones were potentially there at the time of Jesus, but the human consciousness had not unfolded to the point where it could bring them forth, where it could manifest them. We are living now, I hope you're aware, at a time when we're going through a new transition and it's very, very radical. It is a totally new way of understanding who we are, 
and what the universe is. That's what I want to talk about today, this radical change. If there is any recurring thought in my mind as of late, is that it, we must see things differently. I keep saying it because I have friends. I play in a band now, yay. <laughs> and, and I have friends, and, and they're, one of them is a, a minister also, but he's in a you know, traditional set. And of course, I hear them talk, and I say, we've got to change how we see things. We really do. <laughs> We have to look at things with childlike wonder. But I have a quote about childlike wonder. My quote on that is, there is a huge difference between being childlike and childish. Huge. We live in an infinite universe. We can't even begin to fathom what exactly that means. But what we can get from that what we can understand is that we cannot get stuck in a way of seeing things. We must be open always to what else there is. Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore said he reserved the right to change his mind at any time because he understood this, that we are changing. Our consciousness is expanding. So for 21st century man to be stuck in a model of the universe brought forth by 1st century man, it's just insanity. Not that they were insane. That was their consciousness. That's what they understood. Now you can tell me, yeah, but truth doesn't change, as sometimes Nancy tells me. I said, this is true. However, our perspective of it does. Not long ago, my, my daughter sent me a picture there was two pictures, uh, and it was Pluto, side-by-side -side photos. One of them was taken, I don't know, 20 years ago or more, and one of them a couple of years ago or, or less. And, and the one on the left, the old one, looks basically like a blob. And it's a fuzzy little semi-circle-looking thing, and the other one is just sharp as it can be. And I said, did Pluto change? No, Pluto didn't change. But our perception of it changed. Our ability to see it changed. And that's the kind of changes that we need. Unity from the beginning has always tried to make a point of do not get stuck in one way of seeing things. It's a progression. Emily Cady in Lessons in Truth at the beginning says, in entering upon this course of instruction, each of you should, so far as possible, lay aside for the time being all previous theories and beliefs. By so doing, you will be saved the trouble of trying all the way through the course to put new wine in old wine skins. And that's the thing, that, the picture that keeps coming to my mind. It's like, and if we had the projector up, I told Marina that's what I would have put up. I would have put somebody, you know, on a drawing board and put God, man, universe, relationship, God to man, all these things. And on the next frame, I'd have somebody erasing the whole thing. That's what we need to do. Scratch the whole thing. We really do. It's that radical of a change, what we need to do. How many of you are familiar with the term a paradigm shift? I know some of you are. I'm certain that Kelly is. Okay, good. Some of you are. A paradigm shift says, as, I, uh, as identified by American physicist Thomas 
whatever his last name is, is a fundamental change in the basic concepts and experimental practices of a scientific discipline. In, in, in plain English, it's a big change. It's a big change in consciousness, in perspective. For example, there was a time when it was commonly held that, that the sun rotated around the earth. That was one paradigm of understanding. That was the understanding of pretty much everybody. Then along came Copernicus, and he changed that. Do you know the story about Copernicus? You see, at that time, the church was the authority of everything. I mean everything. You want to know anything about God, about government, you name it. Go to the church. They got all the answers to everything. But the church was stuck. They were stuck with the calendar. They couldn't figure it out. It, it, was, it, was, it wasn't accurate. So they bring in Copernicus because they heard this. Well, he, first of all, he was a priest. I, you know, everybody was a priest back then, I guess. Uh, they brought Copernicus in and they said, Copernicus, we understand you're pretty sharp on these matters. And we got a little problem here. They said, what is it? We can't figure out the calendar. Can you handle it? Copernicus says, I'll give it a shot. So Copernicus comes back, and he comes to the church, and he says, I got some good news, and I've got some bad news. What's the good news? I figured out the calendar. Copernicus, you are the man. <laughs> and then he said, but I got some bad news. What's the bad news? Um, we're not the center of the universe. And that was the first time that quote was ever said. It says, what you talking about, Copernicus? That's what they told him. <laughs> they stole it later in that TV show. Oh, never mind. <laughs> so that changed. That changed. And there's been other big changes. Newtonian physics was one of them. When Newton came along and came up with the Newtonian laws, that was a big change because he figured out how things were working. And we were stuck in that model for a long time, 300 years plus. In fact, it was to the point where science literally had said, we have learned everything there is to learn about the universe. The only thing to do now is to fine tune this puppy. And then along comes quantum physics and says, uh, hold on here a minute, Newton. Uh, there's more to this than, than you think that's going on around here. And that changed everything. My very first lesson I ever gave here at Unity, I guess it was about four years ago now or something, was called the reconciliation of science and religion. Because I'm really into this. This is me. This is my theme. Putting it all, to the whole picture together. And that's been one of the cornerstones of, of Unity, New Thought, is to put everything together. Because for me, there is no such thing as something that's real and something that's unreal. Because... That's two things. And by definition, by definition, children of God, that is dualism. That is what it is. That's what the Gnostics believed. This was an ugly and cruel and mean and, and bad world. And, but there was a real world that was beautiful and stuff. And there's only one thing. It's all variations of the one thing, but it's only one thing. Emma Curtis Hopkins great teacher of New Thought, had a falling out with Mary Baker Eddy over this. She said, how can, the, how can we speak of something as real and unreal and stuff? So she left Miss uh, Baker. That because Miss Baker was a real dictator. Big time. 
And, and never mind that, she still is. She actually runs Christian science from the grave to this day. <laughs> she really does. You can read about it. So we must make sense of all things, even this little fleshly body. It's a new shift, a new paradigm is here. And the interesting thing is that this new shift is corroborating the old views. The old views of Jesus and all the way back to the Vedanta, which goes back to some 4,000 years or something. New science is telling us that everything is connected. Everything is connected. Braden says, Greg Braden says, everything is everywhere all the time. I said, what? Everything is everywhere all the time. See, because science had with Newtonian physics and stuff, science had a view of a separate world, just like tradition has a view of a separate world now. They thought, science thought that we could observe something and look at it and figure out what it is and, because it was separate from us and we would just write down what it is. Now we come to understand that's not true at all because the very fact of observing something changes that which is observed. And I said, what? You cannot look at something without affecting it. That's very strange. It's not strange to us in unity, but it's nice to hear it. But that's what's going on. It's a new birth. Bottom line is this. We live in an interactive universe. Remember that. We live in an interactive universe. This is a major, major paradigm shift. The problem is we're having a hard time understanding this because we have had our long, our beliefs were stuck for so, so long in a limited universe. That's, that's what we have believed. That's what we've been told. Braden says that where do we get most of our beliefs from? From what people tell us. That's what we accept. They've, they've told us. You can't do this. You can't do this. That. You're limited. All these things. So what does it mean to have an interactive universe? How does this work? Well, it seems that the way it works is that emotions and beliefs are the language of this interactive universe. You literally are seeing and experiencing that which you believe. You can say things all your day. Like I said before one time, I said, you can tell somebody, I love you. you know, but that doesn't really like, so what? But if you feel it from the heart, see, then that's different. And that's what it comes down to. That's why the emphasis on this heart-centered metaphysics and all this other stuff that's heart-centered. And this is why Heart Math Institute has found that, that the heart sends out this magnetic sphere of energy and, and, and signals and stuff from us that goes out. Well, they measure it up to eight feet. But the reason it's limited to eight feet is not because it is, that is the limit on it. It's that that's all they can measure with the stuff we have now. Theoretically, I guess it goes down, who knows how far, 
This is big stuff. And it's, it's very difficult to come to those terms because we, as unity uh, we teach, is that it all comes back to you. It is about what you're doing, about what you feel, not about somebody else. And as I always say, how else can it really be? If we are created in the image and likeness of God and we have free will, how else can it really be? This is the big change. It takes a real effort to make this kind of a change. Let me give you an example as I kind of semi-wrap this up a little bit. <clears throat> Suppose that, because we believe what we're told. Suppose that we lived in a time when we didn't have the technology we had and you were brought up to believe that the sun revolved around the earth. Always been told this. That's a fact. I've been told this. I have no reason to question it. And in fact, if you go outside in the morning, you see the sun come up. And you see it traverse across the sky all day long. And then it sets over here in the west. And you said, I've been told that the sun goes around the earth. I'm looking at it. I have no reason to doubt this. And along comes Copernicus and says, that's not the way it is at all. And you say, what you talking about, Copernicus? <laughs> Same thing. That is the kind of a radical change that we need. It's a new birth. So we must find a new way to see the world differently. It is not separate from us. You, at the fundamental level, are not separate from me. That which I do to you, I do to me. That's what Jesus said. And it seems that that is exactly how things work. Everything is interactive. You cannot do something to something without affecting not only it, but everything. This is a strange idea. Now, let's reverse what I just said about the setting I just set for you. And let's say that you were brought up in a, situ in a situation from the beginning that this is what you were taught, that you believed that there is no limitation of anything that you can do. Imagine what your mindset would be then. We must see things differently. Thank you. <laughs> and that was my, I think my, my drum thing. <laughs> and I was, about, I was about to say the last thing too. Make the shift, my brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. <laughs>